so I know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Word on the Hill. I'm Father Peter Muzzin. I am Scott Powell. And I'm eating pepperoni because I needed a snack. He's got to add mass to his link. I do because, man, I was withering away. Well, you guys, we have uh, ended up in Holy Week. Somehow. Somehow. (laughs) Somehow we're here now. Lent entirely disappeared. What happened to that coffee you were making me? Did that happen or no? No, you you said you had to leave. I did. So I was like, man, that's going to take too much time. We no, have you're to, right. You're we right. got to work. <laughs> we got to go. All right. I just <laughs> want to make sure I'm not missing anything. Okay, you're not missing anything. I mean, if I get up in the middle of the podcast and leave everybody, you know why. It's because we need to. I'll just suck uh, the uh, spit out of the bottom of this cup. <laughs> mm. I, I make good. very good coffees. That's why, why uh, my friend Scott is, is begging me right now. I usually save a lot of my coffee intake until I get to Father Peter's house. That's not true. I had like six cups this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to go. But I didn't have any this afternoon oh. <laughs> until one o'clock when I got here. <laughs> I got I got two two uh, two cups in this morning. Nice. Yeah, it was good. I think I, I got two two and a half. That's I got, not that bad. I got a little scared though because I went to the chrism mass this morning and I had had two cups of coffee and Uh-oh. I was like, man, I don't know how long this liturgy is going to be. <laughs> Oh, and you're up there on the altar. No, uh, no, we're just. You're, I'm just in the sea of like 300 priests, and and then out. and then you're like the one priest who gets up. Excuse next me, to everybody. The, excuse me. Excuse me, everybody. Next to the 90 year old, and you're like, <laughs> I'm I'm the biggest lameo ever. And then uh, and you get it. Basically, you're getting up in front of the entire archdiocese of Denver, including your ordinary. I've never seen ordinary. a priest do that. Me neither. I think it's a miracle. Wow, I'm kind of. It's kind of remarkable that I've never seen a priest at an ordination at a chrism mass. Everyone just holds it. Uh, they they Good do. Good work. Good work, <laughs> diocesan priests. Yeah, I have a friend who told told me just ask Mary, because Mary will <laughs> always hook you up. Because sometimes, brother, you just don't feel that good. Yeah, and sometimes you just are worried. I I mean I want to think that Mary has better things to think about, but you know what? She cares for us. She's a mom, and and you, she's a mom, and moms deal with. With stuff that comes out of you, yeah, she, yeah, and, and and they're like, you can make it just another two minutes, yeah, two minutes, just hold on. That actually is really fitting to pray to Mary. <laughs> Open up your Coca Cola. Everybody's gonna think that I'm the biggest heathen. I didn't, Why? Have, I didn't have lunch. Okay, so I'm drinking a Coca Cola to keep myself sane. Why does and that make you a heathen? Because it's Holy Week, and I'm you're still allowed to eat and drink. Something. Yeah, I know. I did not give up pop for Lent, but you know, or pepperoni, <laughs> or pepperoni, <laughs> because that's what I'm having for lunch. It's all right. There's no shame. There, you know, there's there's going to be some kid somewhere, and they're like, Father Peter has pepperonis and cup of coke for lunch. <laughs> I can too. Sitting in a lounge chair with a laptop in his lap, <laughs> kids, <laughs> and his giant headphones. Don't you look like a teenager's dream right now? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah, jacked in, jacked into the internet, man. Absolutely, the interweb. All right. Well, hey, we have we have some stuff to to talk about today. We do, and Father Peter and I had a long discussion before we started the podcast on what on earth we were going to talk about today because the triduum is something else. It's uh, technically speaking, right, right, Father. The whole triduum is technically one long liturgy, all the way from the night of Thursday, yep, to Easter Sunday, yep. It it doesn't actually end at any point. Yep. Which makes it hard to know how to in thirty minutes talk about all the readings. Yeah. So we talked about it, and we were like, "Well, we already kind of covered the passion in a, in a in a decent sense from sure. from the Palm Sunday. I mean, it it was kind of an overview. So I mean, right. we would love to talk about Holy Thursday and Good Friday and Holy Saturday. 
All the readings from Holy Saturday were pretty intense. Holy Saturday, I got to tell you, just a side note, was one of my first real experiences with the church when I was kind of in college rediscovering my faith. Oh. I read... uh, Nothing happens in the church on Holy Saturday. Well, that's the thing. I was reading Ratzinger's book, now Pope Benedict Emeritus, but Ratzinger's book, Introduction to Christianity, which is a very misleading title, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the Summa is is an introduction. (laughs) It's just a summary. Philosophical thinking. But it was was my first real theological, like serious theological book. Mm -hmm. And there was a chapter in which he talks about Holy Saturday and the experience of going and sitting in a church on Holy Saturday and feeling the emptiness and realizing that the Eucharist isn't in the tabernacle and it's empty and it's been stripped bare and how that's just the experiential feeling of that. And I was like, I didn't even know we did that. I had no idea. So I was like, that's interesting. I want to go sit in a church. So I went and I found a church and I sat there and it was empty and it was weird. And it felt like I could feel a difference. It felt creepy and dark and alone and empty and void. Mm. I was like, this is real. So the emptiness, the nothing that happens on Holy Saturday was a pretty moving thing for me because I didn't realize how real that was. Every year I'm struck by it, actually. Is, is Isn't it, it amazing? Is it, you're there and you're like, where have they taken my Lord? Yeah. Yeah, it's really profound. I start looking for gardeners at that point. Good, as you should. If you get a chance, go check out a church on Holy Saturday and just sit there for a few minutes because it it feels different. It really does. And that was a big deal for me. But we're not going to talk about that. Nope. <laughs> as we discussed. So I'm going to give you guys an overview of of the the triduum up to the Easter vigil. Mm. Okay. Holy Thursday. So it would be evening mass of the Lord's Supper. Yep. The uh Eucharist is instituted and so is the priesthood. Okay, done. Well, um, I just want to point out there's if you guys use Facebook or have seen a lot of the pictures, there's a lot of pictures of of our new Pope Francis floating around and my favorite one is this picture of him washing the feet of an AIDS patient who's in a wheelchair and has the, the the lost all of his hair, and that was from Holy Thursday when the priest and the bishop will wash feet of people in the church to remember the time when Jesus at the Last Supper washed his disciples' feet. So that's another little little cool insight into Holy Thursday. That's that's what's going on. If you've seen those pictures floating around of Pope Francis, that's that's Holy Thursday, and that's what the church is telling us. That's what the priesthood is. That's what Christ has established. It's, I mean, we it's it's kind of, we shouldn't be shocked. When we see our Holy Father washing the feet of, you know, one of the, one of the the simplest among us, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. So Holy Thursday, sweet. Yeah. It's my other favorite. And then Good Friday is you go through the Passion, venerate the cross, and then you go into the tomb on Saturday. So um, the readings are very very beautiful, but we're not going to cover them. Maybe we will next year. So um, because we have um, more than enough readings to cover all of the other liturgies, because we have uh, seven. Eight, nine, nine readings, and that's not even counting the Psalms. Oh yeah, because then, because then there's so that like basically we have eighteen to cover. Are you 18. guys ready? <laughs> actually, actually, we have to we have to be done in a half an hour. Pretty much, we keep looking at this clock on the wall that doesn't work. It doesn't work. At one for, <laughs> for days. I need to replace the battery and make so, you a cup of coffee. That's no, all I'm I good. Have to I'm say. good. Okay. And by the way, we would like to talk about all these readings, but that is up to you guys to see if we're still on the air in a year, which we hope we are. So keep listening and tell your friends about us. Yes, absolutely. We want to still be here. Okay. And and this is kind of our our um our um ghetto level advertising. It's basically tell your friends. Absolutely. Because because really, because your friends are cool. Your friends we like are your cool. friends. We wish they were our friends. Uh huh. We're that guy. Yeah. 
and and so we want to like hang out in your living room and in your car on your jog. We want to spend that time with you. What's in your fridge? Because we're gonna have it. We're yeah, gonna eat it. Yeah, we're gonna come over. We're gonna eat. Where's your the food. bathroom? Yeah, we're gonna use it. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry. What's on TV? I don't know. No, we we're, we're happy to be with you. Yeah, but tell your friends. Okay, that's all we got on that. Uh, okay. <clears throat> These are the biggest readings that uh, have ever been, period. So let's talk about them. So we start in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Literally in the, the beginning. beginning. And Easter, the Easter Vigil is cool. I'm sure a number of you who are listening either won't be able to go or have never been maybe to an Easter Vigil. Um, the Easter Vigil is amazing. You, you begin the Easter Vigil going through these seven readings, which essentially take you through kind of the macro story, the big picture story of salvation history and how everything kind of came to be in the Old Testament. And they're all read in darkness. The church is supposed to be in darkness, you know, maybe a candle or two so the reader can read the readings. Uh, actually, liturgically, you're, uh, according to the germ, you're, it's actually the lights are supposed to be on. But we what? we listen to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Oh, so know we that. just turn them on a, a little bit. Where did it come from to have it dark? Um, it was um, Archbishop... Uh, our previous archbishop, he, he who will not be named, he liked to have it in dark, but then. But the, in Ohio, where I went to school, this is what I—that's what I learned. I think it makes sense too to have. But it, that's not. But it, it, it's no, it's not according know. to the germ. Okay. Which is the general instruction for the Roman Missal, which I always thought was pronounced the germ. The germ. 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 Yeah. So so I think it's I think it's very appropriate to read them in darkness with a little bit of thing, but. Um, I think it's cooler. I think it's way more dramatic. We need to be a little bit more about some stuff. So rise up from the people. I think that, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a progressive on that one. I think that it's cool to have it in dark. It's cool because then once the re- once those readings are over and you finally get to the gospel, you get the alleluia for the first. My son Samuel keeps asking, when can I say alleluia? Is it alleluia yet? Is it alleluia yet? And he keeps saying next week on Sunday. <laughs> next week. Dude, he's going to poop himself. <laughs> Yeah, well, he might either way, but <laughs> yeah, he will. He's pumped. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. And and then and then when the uh, the Gloria and the Alleluia when those the things Gloria. ring out, then it's like, oh my gosh, the light has come into the world, into the darkness. I yeah. think it's I think it's actually really appropriate. I think we, that it, I think it will change. That's cool. That's good to know. I didn't. I actually didn't realize that. That's good to know. But either way, I mean, we we're, we're we've been kind of a state of darkness since Ash Wednesday in some sense. I mean, we haven't said hallelujah. The flowers are kind of taken out of the church. Things are just somber. But then we're going to get to the Easter vigil. And we're all, you know, those of us who go on Sunday morning then, if we have little kids or something, you can't make it through the seven hours of the vigil. But, you know, we're going to go and we're going to say, oh, all of a sudden there's flowers in the church. Well, that all kind of happens at the Easter vigil. And, yep. and everything kind of comes back to life. And it's a really, really beautiful, beautiful service. If you've never been and if you can go to an Easter vigil, do it. It's really long, but it's it's... That that's the heart and soul of the church. That's when everything happens. That's when people who are being baptized will be baptized. It's the peak. It's it is the the moment uh, in the church. It is. It's the peak. Yeah, it, it's understood right by the in the church calendar. This oh, is yeah. the number one, the, the prime liturgy of the year. Is oh, the vigil. necessary fault. Oh, necessary sin of Adam. Oh, which brought us so great a savior. Oh, they don't let me sing the exalted. <laughs> no. <laughs> But oh. I dude, I was gonna try one year, and I was like, I was in the chapel, and I was like, I'm trying to sing <laughs> the exalted, and then there's like bees year, and man. stuff going on, and bees, yeah, bees, like bzz, bzz. in the exalted, 
They're talking about bees and candles and stuff. Are they talking about bees? Yeah, dude, the Exalted's totally awesome. It's one of the best prayers in the whole of the universe. It is. I didn't notice the bees, though. Well, anyway, Genesis. Genesis. So, like I said, these seven readings are going to take us through basically salvation history. So we start at the beginning, Genesis 1-1. It is literally the creation story, and it says, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless, a formless wasteland covered the abyss, and a mighty wind swept over the waters. <laughs> Which I can never... Re- do you remember that the movie A Mighty Wind? I do. That yeah, that was like a Christopher Columbus one. No, not Columbus. Christopher... Yeah, it was the dude with the six hands, six fingers from um, the... the uh, who did um, Bride's... Best in Show. Best in Show. Christopher Columbus? Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. Chris Columbus. Yeah, I think it, I think it is. Oh. We'll have to check IMDb. Yeah, we we're not going to edit this one, so... No, we got to so, so, push. So we gotta, we're, going, <laughs> we're going through. I'm looking for bees. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, look, look. It says, it's talking about this pillar, which glowing fire ignites for God's honor, a fire into many flames divided, yet never dimmed by sharing of its light. For it is fed by melting wax, drawn out by mother bees to build a torch so precious. Father Peter is not reading from the first reading. He's reading from the exalted. (laughs) Oh, yes. Which you will hear before before you process, right? It's what's said at the, the fire. It's necessarily it's, no, no. Well, no. I guess it's done differently. It's different done places. in darkness. Actually, this is the part that that's you're the part to, that's in darkness. Yeah, thanks for setting me straight. There's no altar candles. There's, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, just a cool thing about the uh, creation story. I mean, the, people have said tons about the creation story, but one thing just to note: you look like you had something to say. Well, no, I want to ask you a question about the creation story because there's up? there's this one like there's this diagram that it's yeah, like, that's what I was going to mention. It's like the one holy dude and the one holy couple and the oh that family. oh that's a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, then what that's you, cool too. Yeah, I I just I just like you talk to me. Okay. First thing I want to say about this. There is a there's a there's a, a a rationale. I we don't have time to go into this now, but there's a I actually gave a talk at the fo- at the big focus conference about um, how Catholics read the creation story. You know, are we opposed to evolution? You know, is this a is this a diatribe against Charles Darwin or something? And and it's not. And the Church understands this in the same way. There's a significance to the seven. The fact that it took it, there were seven days in the process of creation. The Church and the Scriptures are not necessarily pointing us to the reality. It took seven 24-hour periods of time. There's a significance to the number, which is much more important than actually how long it took. It's drawing qualitative. The number is a qualitative thing, not just a quantity quantitative thing. Mm. And so if you if you read it carefully there's this the NAB which is what we read out of at the at the uh, liturgy translates it in um a way that I wouldn't have translated this line but that's okay. Oh. But it, it says where it says the earth was a formless wasteland um what it actually says in Hebrew is the earth was formless and void. Formless and void which is what the RSV says. So at the very beginning the first lines of scripture there's a problem presented. There is this there's this heavens and earth, but there's no form and there's void. So it's formless and it's empty. And if you read through, there's this, um, you can actually create, this is a, the diagram. I've seen other scholars create a little diagram. You can look at the six days that God uses to make creation in terms of, of basically building a little diagram. The first three days, do you, do you know what he makes on the first day? Light. He makes light on the first day. So light is on the first day. What's on the second day? Uh, a dome. He separate. Oh, that's oh. Still, we're still on the first day. So in, in the first day, he separates light from darkness, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So light from darkness. I have the readings in front of me in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> 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 on the second day, what does he do? The waters, right? Okay, so we got in the light, sky, light and the water, light and, and darkness he... on the first day. Oh yeah, and then he water separates and them. sky are separated on the second day. Yeah, yep. he separates them, 
And then on the third day, he creates land, right, and vegetation. Great. That's one, two, and three. What are the, what's the problem in the creation story? It's that the, the heavens and the earth are formless. They're without form and they're void. So in days one, two, and three, God creates forms, light and dark. Day number two, water and sky. Day number three, land and vegetation. There are forms. And then what gets really interesting is day four, five, and six. So if you match it up, like the first three days are on kind of a top level, and then the next three days are right underneath it. The day after, so parallel to the day that God created light and dark, on day four, guess what he creates? Stars and luminaries and the sun Hmm. to fill what he just formed. So the stars and the sun now fill the formlessness, which is now light and dark. Day number two, remember, was water and sky. Yep. So guess what he makes on day five? Oceans and... No, that's what he made on day two. Uh, d- water and sky. Oh, yeah, the living creatures. Well, specifically fish and birds to uh, fill the water and the sky. On day number three, he he created land and vegetation. What does he create on day number six? Animals and humans. Dinosaurs. And, insects and... and dinosaurs <laughs> to fill the land. So it's actually really cool because the scriptures oh. begin by saying, look, there's this problem. It's formless and it's empty. Oh, so, so what does he do? He creates the form, form and, and then he fills, fills the form. Yeah. And it's really, it's really, really beautiful. And it's a beautiful way to look at, whoa, God is a, an artist and he's crafting this beautiful, you know, they're not, they're not worried. Well, how long, how many hours did it take God to create the dinosaurs and the Cretaceous period? That's not really the concern of the text. It sort of takes for granted, yes. you know, perhaps the evolutionary process that's going on. It's trying to instead create a beautiful artwork picture for you yeah. to show how God is actually doing this beautiful thing. Yeah. So it's cool. Um, yeah, it's cool. That's really cool. I, I I like it. But you asked about the and just for sake of time, I'll just mention it. But you asked about the the this the, other little diagram. Yeah, there there are understood to be six major covenants that God creates with humans. Yes. throughout the course of the Bible, and each of them are actually structured around family. So in the very beginning, who are the only people around? Well, it's Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve are a married couple, one holy couple. I, I, and the the thing that I always got confused about because I get the covenants, but there, oh, yeah. there's there's some sense about how they relate this back to the the days of creation in Genesis. Well, sort of the sign of, so there's a visible sign that God gives with each of these covenants. So the visible sign that God gives to Adam and Eve, that mm-hmm. God wants to be in relationship with them yep. is the Sabbath day, the seventh day. So people have said, mankind is created on the sixth day for the sake of the seventh day. And the seventh day is the day we rest where we're with God, where we worship God because he wants a relationship with us. So mm. the sign of that covenant with the two people that are alive is this covenant day, this day to spend together. And then later on when you get to Noah, right? Noah is going to be not just a couple, but now he's an ex- he's a whole family. He's a, he's a nuclear family with his sons and their wives. And God wants to create a new covenant with him. And so he shows him this rainbow as a sign that he's not going to wipe out the earth in that way again, that he wants to be in relationship. So there's a visible sign for that. It's the, it's the rainbow. Then what is it? Moses is the next one. Now the couple has grown into a family. And now the family has grown into a tribe. Oh, Abraham is the next one. Abraham, who's now a tribe. And uh, I'm trying to think of what the sign is for that covenant. All I can think of is the animals that are bloody. Did, did, yeah, we, we talked about that one on the podcast, yeah. But it goes on, it goes on from there. Oh, okay. Scott Hahn has a great book called uh, Father Keeps His Promises. Father Keeps His Promises. That yeah. He kind of maps this out. It's cool, though. It's cool. It's way cool. So then um, it's beautiful because the responsorial psalm is a response to this. Um, yeah. Send out your spirit and renew the face of the earth. Yeah. Kind of speaking about how, okay, we see creation. We experience this uh, beautiful um, kind of formlessness and void be the, the, the forming and filling. Right. And then... 
the acknowledgement that we understand, we see it f- formed and filled, but now we need, actually need a renewal. Right. Uh, it's it's actually the crying out and saying we get we get the fact that this is creation, but we need we need renewal, Lord. Totally. And how does God renew His people now? What's our main source for being renewed and being brought back into this covenant relationship? Well, I mean, it's baptism. It's baptism. And if you read the psalm carefully, uh-huh. I mean, look at what it says. He says, oh, my Lord, you are great indeed. You are clothed with majesty and glory. You're robed and light as with a cloak. It talks then the next mm. stanza about the ocean being like a garment and the waters. I mean, what we're going to do in just a little while at the Easter Vigil is baptize people in water and then clothe them in new garments. Oh, yeah. So embedded throughout this psalm, I mean, how do you do that? How does God renew the face of the earth? What's through baptism? And we're going to be clothed with water in this new way. Yeah. So it's pointing you there. Oh, it's and it's beautiful, actually. Now that I get that that, that form, you know, it says, okay, you're clothed with magic. So the first stanza is talking about light. Now we're talking about water. Yeah. Then we're talking about yeah. the birds uh, and and oh, the yeah. and the wind. And then we're talking about grass for the cattle and man's use. How manifold are your works, O Lord? We're praising creation. You've brought them forth all. And then bless the Lord, my soul. Alleluia. Yeah. Just because it's like I'm getting creation, man. I'm totally. I, I I see how it's formed and filled. Totally, dude. That's great. It's really cool. Which brings us to the second reading of uh, the 18 that we have. To- Abraham. <laughs> Abraham. This is the, this, okay, so Abraham, oh God, I have to say, <clears throat> what happened to me, so there was one Lent where all, literally all I could do was meditate on this reading. Really? Everywhere I would turn, I just was like, you know how it's like you do try to do spiritual stuff and it's just kind of like bunk and it doesn't, yeah. you're like... Pfft. And, uh, but whereas this, I, I just kept on coming back and it was so rich because I was seeing the connections between Jesus and Isaac and how, you know, they're, they're climbing Mount Moriah and Jesus has, I mean, um, Isaac, uh, Isaac, uh, Isaac has the wood on his back right. and he's going to be sacrificed. And then where's the Holocaust, but he's the Holocaust and he's willing to do it. And we talked about his age and one of the previous right. podcasts right. and, so you're just seeing this beautiful reality. And Which if you weren't listening to that one, I mean, if you do the math according to the whole story, he was in his 30s when this happened. You know, sometimes we have this idea of a little kid, you know, that Abraham's just hauling him up there. No, I mean, he's a full grown man. He's in his 30s climbing a mountain with wood on his back. And his dad has a knife in his hand. Yeah. And he's like, what are we, how are we going to do this one? Wait, and what? he's like, God is, will provide the sacrifice. <laughs> and he's like making the calculation. He's like, that, that's me. Hmm. So I I just love it because it's it gives us an image of Jesus Christ who it fulfills he goes so much further than even what he's going to ask of the people totally and uh, and that's what he does in his crucifixion so I was meditating upon this thing all of Lent and then I get to the Easter Vigil this is my first year in seminary oh wow and um, I'm just like oh I just I couldn't wait to hear this reading and the reader who was supposed to read it at the cathedral backed out. And um, uh, the guy who was coordinating the readings, for some reason, came up to me and asked me to read this at the vigil, my Whoa. first year in seminary, after spending, you know, the six weeks of Lent just meditating on that. It was like, Holy talk cow. about uh, exultant. Man, it was wow. it was totally amazing. And it's actually colored the entirety of my priesthood. because Because w- what happens is that one of my favorite symbols and, and a symbol that is, is just very, very important to me is the crown of thorns yeah because we they spot the ram in the thicket 
in the thorns and how and then the thorns that come forth from the soil uh, because of Adam's sin and that that, that Jesus is crowned um, yeah. uh, with, by by the thorns that that are now going to grow up because of the sin of Adam and and how he takes it all the way back down into that moment and connecting um, Isaiah and Adam through through this the symbol of the thorns that he's willing to to don as wow. as a crown. Wow, um, it's very very beautiful, very powerful to me still to this day. That's really cool. I promise I won't get like a crown of thorns like tattooed around my arm. You can. I can. I would respect you. Yeah, I'm, I'll get one tattooed around my belly button. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's all. Well, that killed the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that one, man. How about that? Which brings us to Exodus. We're, we're going to bounce, just because we have literally 18 readings, we're going to have to bounce a little bit. I know. We're going to skip some psalms. So there's a psalm in between, which is, it is a very beautiful psalm about you are my inheritance, O Lord. You know, the whole story of Abraham and Isaac yeah. is about inheritance. Which, which, which Abraham, <laughs> nice man. I was <laughs> singing. But in sacrifice, in being willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, and, and a, I mean, if you're reading the story of Abraham carefully, what he's saying is, I'm willing to sacrifice the inheritance that God has promised me, which is my son, who's going to be a blessing to the world. I'm prepared to give that up for you, or prepared to give it into your hands at least. So then the psalm fits. It's about, you are my inheritance, Lord, which is beautiful. But that brings us to Exodus. And we don't have to go too deep into Exodus. Exodus, it's that great story of Moses parting the Red Sea as they're finally freed from their slavery in Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. They're being pursued by the Egyptians. And God works this miracle through Moses' hands. The sea is actually parted and they're able to cross. And there is a wall to the left. (laughs) And then there is a wall to the right of them. You're about to unplug your cord with your arm motions. (laughs) (laughs) You guys don't get to see all my arms on the radio. It's cool. It's, It's fun. It is fun. But I mean, and well, of all the things that we could say about this, this is, and Paul actually talks about this later in his epistles, this is a huge image of baptism, right? Yes. Passing from slavery to freedom through water. And that's exactly what, the, I mean, this is this is the, the uh, what do you call it? What's the thing when something represents something else that's going to happen later on? Uh, foreshadowing? It's, yeah, but... Uh, Analogical, eschatological. <laughs> I don't know. Ana- but this, ana- is the, this is the Old Testament sign pointing to baptism. Yes. And that's what makes it so hard to actually clean the baptismal font afterwards is you keep on finding these chariots and stuff and you're like, <laughs> seriously? Cattle who've walked through it, I know. I heard a story on the radio the other day of this guy. He kept on finding change in the shower. He couldn't figure out why it was. It was, uh, I think it was This American Life and... Turns out that uh, like he would take naps and change would fall out of his in pockets, and then it would get stuck to his body, and so he would shower, <laughs> and then but he couldn't figure out why there was all this change in the shower, and it's kind of like the chariots in the in the baptismal exactly font. I've just like been trying that. to figure out what's going on. It's exactly like that. Yeah, I'm like, hey, Egyptians. One of the things that's weird about the vigil is that the responsorial psalms don't always come from the psalms, and so the next responsorial psalm actually comes from Exodus. Oh, it's know, a canticle. It's a canticle. So a psalm really is sort of, it's not just a book, it's a literary genre. So there are the equivalents of psalms in other books of the Bible. which Even are into just, Revelation, yeah. Exactly, I mean, just canticles that are sung. And so we take this one from Exodus 15, which is actually the, the song that they sing. Well, d- d- there's so much we could say about all these. This is frustrating. But um, Exodus 15, it's the song that they sing of kind of redemption for having been saved from the Egyptians and passing through the Red Sea. 
if you read it in the original Hebrew, there's reason to believe that they're singing the song of redemption while they're still in the Red Sea, really? passing through, which tells you that they're actually they're ex- they're not experiencing it yet. They're still realizing there's danger on every side, but they're still singing God's glory despite it. Mm. Which is sort of the sign of the Old Testament, isn't it? Jesus hasn't come yet. He hasn't brought salvation, but these people, these great hearers of the Old Testament are able to hope and to see the fulfillment of their trust in God, even though they're not living in it yet. And we're kind of in the same boat. I mean, the world's still messy, but we believe that Christ really has redeemed us despite all the garbage around us. So it's it's a really neat psalm, quote unquote. Did we do there? Yeah. And the elite officers were submerged in the Red Sea. Only the elite ones. Only the elite. <laughs> and the Just love this, man. Yeah, That's a great explanation is that we actually are called to sing. And that is a spiritual principle. Yeah. You have to praise the Lord in the midst of your trials. Yeah, exactly. That's actually the spiritual lesson. Totally. So we got to go to is. Isaiah. I- is 54. Isaiah. It is a very. This one yet. <laughs> The one, the husband is maker. Okay. No, this is a great one. Um. <laughs> no, it is. Oh, it is. It is. Sorry. I, I've, the first line threw me off because we have two in a row from Isaiah. And and really, this is one about looking forward. So this is this is sort of the in-between. I mean, Isaiah is this book that's being written in the mi- same same sort of a deal as Exodus, right? They're in the midst of this exile this punishment for their sin, but they see the hope on the horizon. And so that's actually probably why it's being placed at this point in the liturgy, because we're still moving along this continuum of salvation history from God created us, there's been this sin, we've fallen, there's trouble, there's danger, but we still are moving ahead. We're still singing because we see that there's there's hope at the end of all this. And Isaiah's sort of embodying that. And there's some beautiful poetry. I mean, like, oh, afflicted one, storm Mm. battered and unconsoled. Mm. I lay your pavements in carnelians and your foundations in sapphires. So you're, you, it's it's this kind of combination of of, of like the Lord's punishments m- m- are moving towards. So it's it says you know for a brief moment I abandon you, but with great tenderness I take you back. That the, that the the Lord's spiritual patterns are meant to inspire stuff inside of us. Yeah. And then even in the same reading is saying I, I'm I'm making the I'm drawing you to the heavenly Jerusalem. Yeah. I'm drawing you into a heavenly reality that you you don't even know. I'm going to make your battlements of rubies yeah, and totally. your gates of carbuncles. I don't. I haven't. <laughs> I seen love any. carbuncles. Yeah, no, that's a very that's my birthstone. Carbuncle. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't Important know. My the carbuncle, <laughs> which is perfect for the psalm that comes next. I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. Yes, we needed rescuing, and we're in the midst, and it's this kind of. But you have to remember that's that's part of the thing is if you don't, uh, those who need salvation are the ones who realize they need salvation. That's yeah, why totally. even saints they like freak out about themselves because why would you go to a savior if you don't need a savior if you don't realize your your neediness and your pity pitifulness totally. before God. And so if you're kind of struggling through your life right now, remember that you're pitiful and you need God. <laughs> that that needs to be inspired. That's so what can, it, so we can have a rescuer. Yeah, I mean, that's when sometimes, you know, because we work for the church, people tend to sometimes throw their accusations of the church at us. I'm sure more at you, but, you know, even me and saying, well, what about all this sin in the church? And what about this and that? What about these people that did these things? And I mean, my answer is, despite the the grievousness of a lot of the sin that's taken place, I mean, if we weren't sinners, we wouldn't need a church. If we didn't need a savior, we would, I wouldn't be here. So I'm not surprised when I see even great sin of people in the church, because you know what? That's why we have a church, yeah. which is 
the reality and that you and, know and my, my friend likes to say this to me he says the only two protagonists in history this comes from dave hayes and he probably got it from somewhere too but it says the only true protagonist in history is the beggar mm. and which i don't know where he got it from but i think it's beautiful i like that i have to think about that yeah that's beautiful it means that it's not like you it's not like we're gonna do great stuff it's you know the, the only i just saw a book on your shelf that says shoot video that doesn't suck <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Back, back to business. Talk to you about the two protagonism right there. Yeah. Okay. The I'm, next... thir- I'm thirsty and I need some grain and some wine and oil. Well, and that's the thing though. I mean, that's where that's the next the next reading from Isaiah, which is exactly our point. I mean, that's what we've been saying. Is that that's what the readings are leading us to think is that while we are thirsty, we do need a lot. We really can't be our own savior. And so Isaiah then in reading five tells us, Hey, if you're thirsty, come to the water. If you, if you have no money, come and eat and be filled. And, and basically, there's coming a time the Lord is going to care for you. Um, it starts, though, by saying, if you're thirsty, come to the water. Again, where is this entire Easter vigil leading us? It's leading us toward the baptisms that are going to happen soon. So embedded in all of these readings is this pointing toward the waters, toward the baptism, which is going to be what ultimately leads us out of the Red Sea. It's what's ultimately going to bring us back into this relationship with God. So all of the readings are pointing us that way. Yeah, well, and 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 then in the next line, I mean, don't don't mix wine and milk. Uh, it just, uh, that no, just sounds like, that, that sounds like a children's nightmare. But the um, uh, I mean, like that's like you know, you used to mix like orange juice and like water and milk and Coke, and then it, give it to your older sister. Um, <laughs> that was for my sister Amy. But no, it says it says why spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what fails to satisfy. It's affirming the people who are about to come to this font, who are about yep. to come to this water, yeah. to say. You, you know, just like the, the woman who had the hemorrhage for years, she was looking in the wrong places. And why yeah. do we spend ourselves for these things that are not going to give us our life? But why don't we actually go to where it really is, which is this water yep. that flows from the sight of Christ that, that yep. heals us? Yeah. And, and so it's all convincing you to try to do this. Which is why you get the, uh, the responsorial psalm. Which, well, hold on. Again, hold, oh, we, I, before we get the responsorial psalm. So, for just as the heavens and the rain and the snow come down and do not return there till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and the bread to one who eats, so shall my word be that goes forth through my mouth. It, my word shall not return to me void, but shall do my will of achieving mm-hmm. the end for which I sent it. It's really straightforward. You don't need a whole lot of interpretation. It's saying, I, it, I'm doing it. And that's actually the big problem with Israel is it's not bringing forth, forth fruit at the right time. It's right. not actually right. it's it's, coming back void. It's coming back void, which is bringing us back to creation. God will fill the void and, and populate it. And, the, yeah. and, and that's actually what he's trying to do. It, 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 it's like creation oh. is, a, is about God's desire for us to be with him. He's, yeah. he, he's saying this isn't void. There, there, there isn't nothing. In fact, there is something. And that something is, is, is meant to be light lived communally and that's what we're inviting them into in, in baptism and, and what the Lord is inviting them to in, to baptism. It's it is fruitful. Yeah, absolutely. Which brings us to the Psalm from Isaiah, which is you will draw water joyfully from the springs of salvation. So I mean the, again, go to the water, coming to the water again. Mm. Takes us to Baruch. Baruch Adonai. Adonai. Baruch um uh, that's not those two are not connected. It's not. I just like to say it because okay. I feel cool. Baruch, did you know Baruch was the uh, the secretary, the scribe of Jeremiah? 
I think we talked about that one. Did time. we? Yeah, yeah. Baruch's a cool, a cool dude. Yeah, and and when, uh, he really went for Baruch uh, uh, on writing this letter. You gave that joke the first time we talked about this. Did too. we do that again? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I sorry. almost edited it out because I didn't get it the first time. <laughs> I like, oh, I get it. Uh, going for Baruch. Yeah. Um, and Baruch, you know, witnessed. He saw Jerusalem fall. He saw the punishment for sin. He saw tremendous suffering. And yet he's writing here about the great hope that's coming in the future. Hear, O Israel, the commandments of life. Listen, no prudence. You know, you're in the land of your foes. You're in the, the foreign land. You feel like you're in the netherworld. Things are really bad. Again, as we're progressing through this continuum of these readings, things are actually getting worse and worse for Israel. But the readings are getting more and more hopeful in a certain sense because yeah. things are getting darker and darker. Yeah. But the darker they get, the closer you are to, to sunrise, right? The sun is coming soon. So Baruch's kind of embodying that. And, and and he says at the end, blessed are we, O Israel, for what pleases God is known to us. Yeah. Like, you, and how is it, why is it known to us? It's known to them because. It's revealed. Well, but it's revealed. In his context, he's saying it's known to us because we did the opposite. Um, we did what was not pleasing to the Lord. We saw what that got us and we're living it now. So uh, we actually know what's pleasing to the Lord the hard way. But now we know, now we get it. And that's kind of the beauty of a lot of the prophets. They're, they're realizing like. This really stinks, and we're in a bad boat, but you know what? We understand now. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of the beauty underlying a lot of these prophetic books. Because the Lord has the words of everlasting life. Yep. That's Ezekiel. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Stressed out about time. Yeah, that's okay. We, I feel like we're on like speed round. In we a, are, in, and we have to be, but that's okay. It's kind of fun. It's a video game. It's kind of fun, though, because the church, I mean, the church is literally just kind of throwing readings at you. And you're trying to, you got to bat them away, like the, like that video of the Pope in the batting cage. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that it's one It's a yet. good one. Okay, Ezekiel. Um, oh, Ezekiel. So this is great. This is um, one of the most, ho- th- this is a really famous Old Testament passage about the future. And one of the things, and again, we're in one of the darkest periods of Israel's history. It's progressively gotten worse. Ezekiel is just after the time of Baruch. And so he's witnessed everything fall there in a foreign land. Everything is done. It's gone. They're hopeless. And yet he's writing this, this, uh, these lines about all the tribes will someday be restored. They'll be brought back together. He'll rise up. He'll raise up a kingdom again. Mm. Um, what does it say? Oh, and at the end of this, he says, I'll take you away from the nations. You're going to be brought back to your lands. I'll gather you from foreign lands. I'll bring you back to your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water upon you to cleanse you from all of your impurities. Which a lot of scholars say that's the clearest, most explicit reference to baptism in the whole Old Testament. I'm going to bring you back and then I'm going to sprinkle you with water to cleanse you from your impurities. I mean, that, the fact that's that awesome. somebody actually wrote that in the Old Testament before baptism existed yet, yeah, that's really profound. That's so profound. And again, we're at the darkest, we're at the darkest place. And and then I will give you a new heart and place a new spirit with. Oh, yeah. I like this yeah. taking from your bodies your stony hearts and giving you natural hearts. Yeah, which I have always seen an an image from moving from the tablets of stone in the Ark of the yes. Covenant to the Sacred Heart of Jesus pierced on the side of the cross. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and so that we're actually the the heart of what we live is flesh and blood. Yeah. It's not just the, the it's not just the, the the stone of the law. Well, which, Paul Paul even says that in the New Testament. He says, "I'm going to take away the stony. You know the the, the Basically, the old law was written on tablets of stone. The new law is written on your hearts. Yes. And it's it's really, but, but again, this is all being um, foreshadowed here, way in the Old Testament. And that, we have two responsorial psalms in a row. Oh, no, we don't. 
One, ba- one for baptism and one when there's no baptism. So we have baptism, so we're going to talk about that one because we believe that everybody Like should. a deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs no. for you. There we go. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. We, okay, is. so now we can go to the epistle. So the epistle, and I love the epistle. So so here's, here's the thing. This is where everything is now climax. I mean, it's going to climax in the gospel, but in a certain sense, we're, I mean, we're getting it here. Everything that the Old Testament readings have been leading us to, I mean, they've all been pointing you toward baptism, 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 which most Easter vigils will have some baptism. Not, not everybody, not every church will have people coming in, but um, this is where Paul then unpacks it, everything that we've been leading to. And he says, brothers and sisters, are you unaware that we were that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Mm. And this is where, again, even if you kind of get the Old Testament references that there's going to be water and there's sprinkle. I mean, here's the thing. We nowadays in the modern church, we think of baptism and we think of it merely in terms of cleansing. And what does baptism represent? Oh, it means we're being washed from our sins and we're being washed clean. And all of that's true, but that's not the fundamental imagery of baptism. There is the washing. Absolutely. From like what we just talked about. Yeah. Well, like Ezekiel says, but it's more than that. How do you become washed clean? Well, I mean, we associate baptism with washing because, I mean, a culture associates something with what they most commonly have associations with. Mm-hmm. That, did, that sentence didn't make sense. But no, it did. That what was I mean a, it is, was a tautology, but I get it. But what I mean is, you know, we, the time we most often come in contact with water is when we're showering or bathing or washing or something like that, because we're a culture that washes a lot and bathes all the time and we have showers every day. But in first century Palestine or, or um, Rome, for example, that wasn't the case. I mean, you didn't shower every day. You didn't wash every day. You had water to drink. But for most of the, the Israelites, the Palestinians, I mean, water is actually a fearful thing. The, the Israelites were not seafaring people. They were landlocked. And for them, water was a terrifying reality. So if you imagine the early church, in the early church, they would do the full immersion baptism where they literally dunk you all the way in the water. And even, if, even, even hold you under. And they would even hold you under. And if your only association with water is not just bathing, but the fear of drowning, and you don't know how to swim, and someone is holding you under the water, you're not thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, it's like a little spiritual bath. You're thinking to yourself, I'm going to die, and you will be sheer, sheer, it's sheer terror for you. Mm. I mean, if you think about the imagery of baptism, if you fully immerse somebody, what the priest does, or the deacon, or whoever, they say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and they dunk you down in the water once. You come out and gasp for breath, and in the name of the Son, back down in the water, gasp for breath, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, back down to the water, three dunks into the water, three times you go into this thing that represents death for you, and then you're brought back up after the third one. And then when you're brought back up, we say, what? Alleluia, you're, you're a new creation. You have put on Christ. Behold, you have been baptized in him. Uh, alleluia, alleluia. We died in him and rose with Three him. times, three days in the grave with Jesus, mm. three times into the symbol of death for us. And then the third time we're raised to new life. I mean, we literally die in uh. baptism so that we can be raised again. It's not just about cleansing. It's about literally dying to this old way of life and this old system of of punishment and this old paradigm of curse and this disaster of a world that we sometimes live in. Well, this is the thing that that I I like to to ask people. I say, do you know why Jesus had to die? A lot of people, they don't actually have an answer. And it's one of those things where a covenant is an exchange of persons. The most modern, normal covenant that we have is marriage. And we say, what in marriage? Until death death was part. part. So Jesus actually died to the old to rise in the new. And wow. that's actually where, and that's where we get, and we're inaugurated into that new spirit. 
Well, what's even more fascinating about that, and I'll teach this in my Paul class, which I'm going to do starting on the 8th and the 9th in Boulder. So come on up. Come on up. No, 9th and the 10th. But um, so the old, you know, the covenant is an exchange of two persons. You know, like you said, we think of marriage. What's the only way to break a covenant? It's by death. So if the old covenant was between this covenant in the Old Testament between God and man, who dies? God and man. God becomes man. Both parties actually die. So the totality of it is broken and then raised again to new life. It's just, it's just a really beautiful it's thing. It's the best. And it's, it's cool. we got to wrap it up because we're at the end of our time. But that brings us to the gospel. And the gospel is from Luke. And I love the way that this whole thing ends because the way that Luke leaves you, it says, you know, at daybreak on the first day of the week, the woman who had come to the tomb, they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away. They didn't find the body of, of Jesus. They saw this guy who they thought was a gardener. And he said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Right. And, uh, talking about him being raised. And then they go back and tell the apostles, Peter and, um, you know, Peter runs to the tomb and the whole thing ends. I love Luke here because he doesn't end with this big profound theological statement of exactly what happened. He, he leaves you with, guess what? Peter just walked away in amazement. Whoa. Which is beautiful because we've been trudging through this whole story of the salvation and the history of the church and the history of humankind. And now we've seen that Christ has just obliterated the bonds of death. He's risen from the dead. And what's the only appropriate response? Not a theological dissertation. It's Peter's response, which is just, (laughs) and he walks away in amazement, which is what we should do after the Easter vigil. Yes. Because it's intense. Yeah. It's what, beautiful. What I love in this uh, in this uh, reading is that um, the two men dazzling and dazzling garments. Um, I've seen in them, and I, I I'm not sure if I, I probably got this from somebody, but that um, the the Garden of Eden is actually reopened. Oh. And so the, rather than the angels standing there with sword, flaming swords, not letting oh. anybody enter, that they actually now see that. And so the gardener is there, who's who's actually Jesus. And so what? The what's new Adam. The new Adam is, oh, is the new cool. gardener, and, and they walk together in peace. And so you're having the full fulfillment, like, come back in this moment where the angels, they're not guarding. They're like, hey, what's up? Whoa, that's really cool. Isn't that awesome? Because I've studied that scene in the garden a lot. I've never heard that. And then that's really cool. And then, and then, because because Adam and Eve were ejected from the garden, yeah. so to protect them from eating from the fruit of the tree of life, lest they lest they be condemned permanently. Right. So now the garden's open, and we can eat again from the fruit of the tree of life, which is Jesus, who which hung is, on the tree, yes. and we eat. Him. He is the he is the cross stands revealed as the tree of life. That's cool, man. Isn't that it? Awesome. I can see that in your eyes. You're like, whoa. That is really cool. It's fun. Well, friends, this is awesome. That's Walk cool. away in amazement. Walk away in amazement. Amazement. We're praying for you. Pray with us. Um, come to St. Tom's in the vigil. St. Thomas is is here for you. And um, if you're in Colorado, write us an email. Blind. You know, if we haven't replied to your email or we haven't given you a shout out yet, then We're sorry. We're sorry, but, but um, we'll we'll get, we love you and um, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, pray hard. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys@thomascenter.org. See you next week.